The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 10, Episode 10. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Weird Bryce Guy, about woodland weirdness, outlandish odysseys, gifts of graft, and cosmic consciousness. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, Settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Missouri. A weird enough place in its own right. A land of endless farm and the world's largest ball of twine. Reportedly. But perhaps there are things out there in the darkness of the night that have much more sinister motives than simply trying to lure you in and spend some tourist dollars. Maybe something that would like to try you on for size. In our first tale by Weird Bryce Guy, we find that when you hear something in the distance, maybe it's best to just leave it alone. Without further ado, I present to you, we can put you back together. I'm sitting in a bar right now, somewhere in the more southern portions of Missouri. Howell County, I think. Haven't bothered to ask. The police are on their way. The owner of the bar called them the moment she saw me stumble through the door. 
covered in... She'd been standing at the bar and rushed to grab the phone at the sight of me. A purely instinctive reaction. I must have looked pretty awful. (laughs) I feel awful. While I'm waiting, I'll type out what happened to me. I'm exhausted, physically, psychologically, spiritually, and I wasn't a spiritual person earlier today. I've been told that it'll take a while for the police to get here, that they usually delay themselves when they get calls from this place. I guess, considering the locale and the present patrons, it's understandable. It's not a friendly-looking place, contrary to the hospitality I've received from its owner. I think the bar wants to give the impression that it's a sports bar. It might have even been one years and years ago. But now it's just a drab, faded place with crooked signs, loosely pinned flags, and dated sports memorabilia. I feel awful. The owner insisted that I give her my jacket. I complied. And I remember it feeling like I had instead removed some weighted thing. A heavy winter's coat or body armor. I don't know what she did with it after putting it in a trash bag, but I think just a moment ago I caught a whiff of something burning, some kind of fabric. I was given a few napkins to wipe my face, and I wasn't surprised to find them lightly dampened with whiskey. My shoulder hurts, but the pain is tolerable for now. I've had a few drinks been about 15 minutes, 10 since the shock wore off, and I guess I'll get started now. I've decided to write it out in the hopes that it'll help me forget it later on. I know if I keep it inside, if I allow it to develop in my mind, it'll eventually drive me insane. Please excuse any lapses, wanderings, tangents, etc. It's a hard thing to keep inside. But I'm sure it'll be even harder to let out, to put into a coherent sequence. I'll do my best. Maybe one more drink first. I was visiting my friend, Stu, at his house in Wentzville, Missouri. He lives, he lived, alone, although there was a girl in the picture, Sophie, or maybe Sophia. Marriage was still far off, but they seemed in love. I'd come to visit him somewhat on a whim, having discussed the idea a few times, but without ever setting anything in stone. I knew he'd be free and that he'd welcome my arrival. There was no plan, really, just wanted to hang out with my friend for a day or two. I'd considered bringing my PS4, since he'd sold his months ago for a PS5, which he never managed to get, but ultimately decided to leave it behind since... I only have a single controller, and I didn't want to spend 60 bucks on a second one. Sitting in his living room, we chatted for a bit, though there wasn't much to catch up on, since we'd been sharing every notable event of our lives on social media for years. After about 30 minutes of this, he asked if I wanted to go somewhere, and I said sure, and we were in his car a few seconds later. I opted to let him pick the destination, being unfamiliar with the area. Initially, we drove without a destination in mind, exiting his subdivision and getting onto the highway with the vague notion of going somewhere beyond his immediate area. After a while, maybe five minutes on I-70, he asked if I'd like to meet some of his friends, and I said sure. I knew enough about them to know that they were generally all right guys, since Stu had never associated with bad people. A few changes of directions later, and we were on the way to the house of a guy named Derek. Surprisingly, since Stu hadn't mentioned the distance, I found myself noting the gradual reduction of neighborhoods and businesses as we drove along. After a while, things resolved to look a bit more rural, Missouri's flavor of the boonies, I imagine, And by this point, it had gotten kind of dark, enough to where the oddly placed streetlights were on and the sun on its last legs. After a staggering, cramping three hours, which we'd spent listening to stand-up comedy, we pulled off the highway and turned onto a street, which, after about a half mile, devolved into what I'd more accurately describe as a road. 
and then that diminished into a path, poorly paved and weed-eaten. Stu pulled his car into a gravelly driveway and announced that we'd arrived at Derek's house. The house was what you'd expect, being out in the parts of Missouri, where people spoke with a drawl that I couldn't, and still can't, distinguished from a stereotypically southern one, even though it's my understanding that Missouri's a Midwestern state. That is to say, the house appeared to have been built more so with function in mind than aesthetic. It was a hulking thing with a chest-high porch around it. The porch's banister held a few items, clothes, towels, tarps, what might have been animal hides. It was dark, and I didn't think to take note of every object and aspect of the house. The front lawn was decently trimmed, I guess. We walked up the short flight of sturdy porch steps, and Stu knocked on the front door, opting to use his knuckles instead of the knocker in the shape of, or what might have actually been, a deer hoof. The door opened a moment or two later, with a tall man standing on the threshold, two liter of soda in one hand, beard dripping with orange. He smiled, wiped his face on his T-shirt, and exchanged warm greetings with Stu. My friend introduced me to his, and I threw out some random, unnecessary compliment about the man's home, which he accepted without acknowledging the awkwardness of it. He welcomed us in, and minutes later, we were all sitting in his basement, drinking soda, in my case, coffee. I listened to them retell stories they'd told to each other about themselves, only now with a bit more enthusiasm since there was another person present. The guy seemed all right, and despite the unexpected change of scenery, I felt comfortable, relaxed. That didn't last long. Derek told us, quite somberly, that he had work in the morning so he couldn't drink, which I assumed had been Stu's general plan upon arriving, if not the reason for coming altogether. Instead, we went outside and sat on Derek's back porch, I in one of the pockmarked lawn chairs he brought out of a shed. He and Stu sat on the porch itself beside me. I accepted the guest of honor position happily, since the porch seemed freely infested with a weirdly varied assortment of bugs. I'm not a fan of bugs. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Neither of them seemed to mind, though, and Stu even let one curious beetle crawl up from his finger to his wrist before flicking it away. The sun had gone completely down by this point, and we were starting to feel the chill of the night when Derek told us, suddenly and almost dramatically, to be quiet. Behind the house there was a long, sprawling lawn, maybe an acre, which was huge to me, with knee-high, obviously unmaintained grass. Beyond this there was a wall of woods, the vegetation dense to the point of having its own darkness separate from the nights. Derek's eyes were directed at this area, and upon looking at him, seeing a severe expression, Stu and I directed ours out there as well. I saw nothing, just all that wall of wood, which in its density seemed more like a low-flying mountain range than a collection of trees and bushes and whatever else constitutes the woods. But my ears, when directed to listen for something above the general ambiance of the night, honed in on something strange, a whisper, frantic but not irregular, the sound was rhythmic, as if spoken to a beat, 
and though it was obvious that the whisper noises were coming from the woods, I heard them quite audibly. The words themselves were indistinct, just beneath a level of comprehension, but the volume was loud as if the source was nearby. I don't know how else to explain it, really. To stick with the senses for an analogy, it was like how they say you can see a lit match from a mile or however far away at nighttime. You obviously can't feel the heat, but you can see the little flame. I couldn't make out the words, but I could clearly hear the sound. Am I making any sense? I didn't think for a second that Derek was playing with us. He, he hadn't known we were coming, had been in his basement with us the whole time and lived alone. There'd be no time or opportunity for him to plan some weird prank, and he had work in the morning. Anyway, he couldn't have possibly accomplished what happened after I consciously acknowledged the sound. As if feeling the need to do something, Derek stood, and Stu and I followed suit. I thought he was going to head back inside, that he was as creeped out as I was about the weird, incomprehensible sound, but he instead strode on toward the yard, obviously meaning to investigate the noise. Stu followed due to some friendly duty of accompaniment or his own interest in the sound. I, of course, followed, not wanting to be left alone in the dark, in the ass end of Missouri. I tried not to think of how only a thin layer of polyester separated my legs from the bug-ridden grass. I do remember thinking how the air felt fresher, cleaner, and how this made the circumstances all the weirder, because I had, by this point, began to unconsciously suspect the presence of something very strange, something deeply unnatural about the sound. Leaving the lawn, which ended a few paces short of the tree line, we stopped, brushed ourselves off, no clinging bugs somehow, and listened. The whispering was as audible as ever and as unintelligible as ever. There was definitely a rhythm to it, now made obvious by how incredibly the darkness within the woods seemed to shift, to throb with it, if you'll allow me to be a bit poetic. Imagine the entire stretch of woods submerged underwater and a steady current ebbing and surging through it, almost hypnotically. That's what it was like, and looking at it made me feel more than a little uneasy. I didn't want to say anything, though, for fear of coming across as jumpy to Derek. I don't know why I cared about what Derek thought. Thankfully, Stu voiced my unease, saying, it doesn't look right. Derek nodded absent-mindedly, and I noticed for the first time the knife he'd brought, which he held in his trembling hand. I can't tell you when he drew it. Must have been upon coming face to face with that odd, pulsing darkness and feeling some powerful sense of vulnerability. I was obviously scared shitless, and I found myself feeling much better about my own fright. I don't think he intended to take that horribly fateful step. His foot seemed to rise and move forward of its own volition, his autonomy accentuated by the expression of surprise, of fearful bewilderment on Derek's face as the foot landed a foot ahead of him. That's all it took. A single step, a single gesture of approach, the suggestion of encroachment or of invitation from the opposite side. In a mentally reeling moment, the whispers were reversed, turned into a shout, and the three of us heard, with perfect clarity, the message that had been repeating itself for minutes. We just need one of you. Come closer. 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 I burst into tears almost immediately. Uncontrollable, profuse crying. The sound. How could I even begin to describe it? There was a vastness, that's the most fitting word I can think of, about it. Not just in volume, but in quantity of voices. There seemed to be dozens, if not hundreds, of voices, all speaking at once, perfectly at once. 
There is no human choir capable of performing so simultaneously. Aside from the vastness, there was an urgency about the voices, a need that terrified me. The vastness, the aching, it was all so horrible. I was scared for my life, and I hadn't even yet seen anything. Stu fainted, his mind utterly incapable of handling the bizarre phenomenon. Derek, receiving the brunt of the vocal assault, by only a few feet, mind you, started a jitter in place. I heard his teeth rattle, and a moan, low and gurgling, escaped his lips, somehow still audible against the sonic backdrop of the dreadful chant. Jesus Christ! Those were the last words Derek ever said. I don't know if it was a general acknowledgement of the circumstances, or if he'd experienced something even more heinous in his final moments, but a second later, he was pulled into the trees, into the darkness. I froze then, mid-sob, mid-sputter, mid-breath. My body just stopped working upon seeing Derek get yoinked away. A series of sounds followed. The most notable of them was a loud, prolonged tearing sound. A scream, only loosely human, accompanied it. In my petrified state, I could only listen. The scream died out before the tearing sound. That continued on for a few more seconds. What knocked me out of my terrified shock were the sounds that arose not long after. Horribly, bleakly familiar sounds. That same agonized scream, only now, played through dozens, hundreds of voices. It echoed and resounded, seeming to come from multiple directions and elevations. I made a single clarifying observation. They're testing it out. Still, I wasn't yet prepared to run. I wanted to. My nerves screamed at me to. But my legs were still defrosting. The control of my limbs not yet returned to my brain. I was therefore forced to see the first manifestation. The first emissary of the voices in the darkness. It walked out from between two tightly pressed trees. And I don't think I'm embellishing what happened. I say that the trees leaned away from its figure. The thing was humanoid, and that's the nicest thing I can say about it. Two arms, two legs, something that would have, in deeper darkness, passed for a head. But in that still early night, with the moon somewhere overhead, it was obvious that what or whoever had assembled this thing hadn't thought to make its outward appearance adhere to that of a human beyond the most basic form. The head was just a ball of meat with a set of eerily shiny antlers jutting partially out of the forehead, partially from the temples, a sort of tripodal crown of bone. The face was a mask of glistening, dripping mush. The body was similarly grotesque, although certain parts seemed roughly stylized, to resemble the inner musculature of a human. A tightly woven thigh muscle here, half a row of ribs or abs there. The handle of a knife, Derek's knife, jutted out from the chest, and I got the grisly impression of a knife embedded in a slab of meat on some butcher's counter. There was a smell, an animal odor, tinged with a weird sweetness that wasn't altogether unappealing. The raw nudeness of its body, its anatomical incompleteness, the obvious impossibility of natural function really touched something within me, really loosened a screw. More tears came. There were no eyes, no mouth, no nose, no ears, nothing in the way of facial features or sensory organs. Yet the thing nonetheless spoke, and this time I heard all the voices, all the obscenely inhuman speakers, focused into one loathsome voice. And this, their first words through a roughly human vessel, drove me to move, to run. You'll never be able to find joy in life, now that you've seen us. You'll never be able to find joy in life, now that you've seen us. You'll never be able to find joy in life, now that you've seen me.
I left Stu behind. I left him there on the grass, unconscious, five feet away from that nightmare. I turned heel and pathetically fled through Derek's lawn, crying, probably pissing myself. But the thing, that consolidation of horrors, didn't let me just run away. Had it been some weaker thing, a smaller choir, it might have. But there'd been so many whispers, so many, had repeated Derek's dying scream. The thing was an amalgamation of many, a legion of horrors. When I heard the steady, distinctly four-footed trot of some large animal approaching quickly from behind, I put my heart and soul into my sprinting. I dipped my head, pumped my legs, and let my animal brain take over. Meanwhile, the more intellectual aspect of my humanity was relegated to assume control of a momentarily non-essential function, sight. It wasn't necessary to see where I was going. The path was a straight line back to the house. Turning my head, I glanced behind me, feeling an equally desperate need to get a look at the thing whose footfalls sounded like those of a horse or an enormous dog. It was, of course, neither. Thankfully, Derek hadn't offered us anything to eat. If I had food in my belly, I'm sure I would have needed to vomit at the sight of that thing, or even would have been too full to muster up that last life-saving oomph needed for my escape. It was that same abominable, ungodly creature, only now running on all fours, its arms had lengthened to allow for terrifyingly efficient quadrupedal movement. The glistening crimson flesh flapped sickingly. The head crowned with an unwholesome set of antlers bobbed hungrily. Had the thing been silent, I would have been instantly captivated by the sheer evil of it. It was an insult to human anatomy, absolutely appalling in every normal regard, but an incredible representation of some demon's infernal image. But as if to further demoralize me, the thing had thought of something new to scream at me. The moment my eyes locked onto its face, it started up again, this time calling out, You think dead is the end of pain? You think death is the end of pain? There will be no end as long as we can put you back together. I made it to the house, tripped on the porch, banked my knees and shins in the wood, turned around, saw a single world-blotting image, a red form unspeakably textured. Felt a sharp pain in my shoulder, a sudden wave of wetness over my face and chest. Got up sometime later, dazed beyond sense. Finally entered the house, found Stu's wallet but not his keys. Walked through the house, out the front door, walked to the path, took that to the more defined road, eventually made it to the street. Walked along that for an hour or three. Pulled a chunk of bone out of my shoulder at some point. Tossed it into the field beside the road. Eventually came upon the bar where I'm sitting now. Dry on the outside, wet on the inside. I can hear sirens now. The police aren't far away. In a last desperate attempt to get me, or some other equally spiteful reason. The thing had head-butted me, gored me in the shoulder with its twisted antlers. I don't know if the impact, with a more solid form, caused it to explode or if it had lost some of its integrity, having gone so far away from its place of birth. But the thing just kind of splattered against my body. I suppose I realized it unconsciously at the time. Can't imagine any other reason for my comparatively casual half-conscious navigation through the home. So, yeah, that's the story. As much of it as I'm able and willing to tell, at least. I don't know why it happened to us tonight. I have to assume that our combined presence somehow attracted the thing, drew it out of some woodland slumber. I don't know what'll happen from here, but I can already tell that writing this out hasn't done shit. I know it'll haunt me. I can almost hear its voice whispering from the wound in my shoulder. You'll find nothing but despair in the darkness of your closed eyes.
I hope you enjoyed We Can Put You Back Together by Weird Bryce Guy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale, and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash weird-bryce-guy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash w-e-i-r-d dash b-r-y-c-e dash g-u-y. A regular no-sleep writer, he has a collection called The First Step Toward Nightmare, several of his earlier short stories. Also, keep an eye out for a novelization based on his series of stories regarding a mysterious mass. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Bryce Guy a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jerry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Insane meat monsters screaming at me in thousands of voices, charging at top speed with murderous intent. Sounds like the parking lot when a football game lets out. Thinking of going to space someday. Hmm. I can't imagine more exciting vacations. Endless darkness, potential explosive inclinations, and the occasional accidental depressurization. But on this trip, from Weird Bryce Guy, you won't need a shuttle or a billionaire entrepreneur to get you there. But it might cost you your mind in the process. Without further ado, I present to you Odyssey of the Despairing Mind. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I believe there are imperceptible forces, energies, and intangible things which, arising from some sub-dimensional source, act on our minds, influence our thoughts, and perhaps even create entirely new thoughts, ideas which we wouldn't normally, naturally consider. The human brain largely remains a mystery and is still yet a small, trivial thing compared to the enigma of the universe. We try to grasp at new understandings, reconfigure frameworks, and occasionally even drop new schematics of both, but we have neither the resources nor the time, as biological beings, to fully chart and comprehend either puzzling object. 
The universe, regardless of its contents, is simply too vast, and the brain is just too complex. I tried for years to understand one and then the other, and in neither case did I uncover any truths or perceptions not known or hinted at by men of science and philosophy. Even when pulled together, compiled, and collated, our collective knowledge of these subjects is rudimentary at best. Realizing this, I underwent a period of depression. The lack of knowledge, the inability to fully know myself, the brain from which I arise, and the world in which I was born drove me to nihilistic depths. I fell into that classic existential trap known as despair. I became dumb, apathetic, and physically lethargic. Activities that had before impressed and pleased me became uninteresting, ordinary, and unfulfilling. People in whose skulls existed that confounding object became ghosts, specters through which I walked, disregarding their presences, intelligence, and emotions. Life became completely autonomous, and I'm sincere in saying that I do not remember those few years during which I was plagued by this heightened and persistent state of indifference. It was as if a lethean spell had been upon me. Eventually, I met a woman, and, compelled by the ultimate goal of life and evolution, married her. And we started a family, had a son, and this occurrence brought on a powerful renewal of my existential fire. But even that didn't last for long. As I raised him, I became terrified that he too would be cursed with the desire to know the secrets of life and creation, and succumb to the same depression I had faced and was still facing, albeit internally, never showing such feelings around my wife or son. I kept my languishing concealed within, expressed subtly, placidly. My son quickly grew to be a smart and kind young man, and I'm excited to see where life takes him. He is the best of me, a new superior iteration, if you will, and my wife and I are extremely proud of him. He prospers in school and his social life, and shows no signs of succumbing to the same fate I had. He is strong of heart and determined of mind, and most importantly, a compassionate boy. A few years into the marriage, I suspected that my wife knew about my psychological malady, even though she had never asked about it. She's perceptive and can always assess my moods and act accordingly. When one day I came home from work, having suffered considerably from a relapse of the aforementioned depression, and sat despondently in my office's chair, she brought me some coffee and read a few poems from a collection of Lord Byron's work. She always ended with my favorite, Darkness, and recited it in a way that brought the grim, apocalyptic scenes alive. When she'd finished reading, and I was in a much better mood, she left me to go exercise upstairs. I stayed in my office, recalling my day, and after a while decided on what would have been done, to ensure that the following day did not go so badly. The troubling issue is irrelevant. Despite the elevation of my mood, I was still afflicted with the depression. It's not something so simple as regular sadness, which can be easily dealt with, or at least tolerated if the cause is specific and can be reconciled. So my attitude had been temporarily made better, but my overall psyche was still impaired. My dismal mood, not removed, but made to slumber. This must be known, made as clear as possible, because I believe it is persistent illness of the mind that allowed me to be susceptible to those ultra-mundane, extrasensory, and otherwise extraordinary forces which I had mentioned earlier. As I sat there, staring at my bookshelf, mind adrift, I started feeling odd. This feeling wasn't exactly unpleasant, but felt like nothing I'd ever experienced before, and this foreignness of being impressed me with simultaneous senses of excitement and dread. Excitement at the newness of it, dread at what it could mean. 
I'd never been significantly ill before, not physically at least, and a sudden and strange feeling could easily be the preamble to some disease. The feeling remained, and nothing else accompanied or arose from it, so I regarded it as nothing immediately alarming. It was as if my entire nervous system was being stimulated, and the resultant feeling made me feel extremely sensitive to everything around me. The darkness of the sparsely lit room became deeper, and conversely, the light from the lamp on my desk burned like some vermilion sun. My chair took on an uncomfortable firmness, and the soft humming of my computer became as loud and distracting as the raucousness of construction machinery. The shelves, teeming with volumes of all sizes and subjects, seemed to push outward and sink inward, as if the walls were breathing in a steady rhythm. Seeing this impossible animation, I got up and left the room, not exactly frightened, but too disoriented to remain. I went quickly down the hall, upstairs, each step coming to me as thunderously as the collision of a judge's gavel against wood, and finally arrived at my room, exhausted from the sensorial barrage. I entered on my hands and knees, crawling past the threshold, and onto the carpet of our room, which soon felt soft and inviting in certain areas and incongruously rough in others. I'd never been able to detect such an inconsistency before. My wife stood before the foot of the bed, watching the TV opposite it, which played one of her workout videos. She wore a slim-fitting black sweatsuit, and I could actually see the spots where the perspiration had begun to soak through. Weirdly, these spots seemed to shift and expand and retract as if they were alive, appearing not as accumulations of sweat, but sentient, slug-like creatures. She looked down at me, and while I did see worry on her face, it was a different kind of worry, one not born of surprise at seeing her husband crawling on the floor, clearly upset by something, but a worry that intimated knowledge a worry at how I'd handle the cause of my distress, a cause of which she was apparently aware. She took a step toward me, and it was as if a mountain had collapsed in on itself. This, it must be said, is significant, because my wife is very graceful and has a remarkably light step. She can approach anyone with a complete silence if she chooses to. When the metaphorical rubble settled and the earth ceased its groaning, I looked up at her and asked what was happening. With all the overwhelming sensations and accentuated perception, I thought that my condition would lessen over time, that my brain would begin to resist whatever psychotropic agent had acted on it. But instead, the phenomenon increased, and my perception of the world was intensified to degrees beyond description. It was agony, a hyper-real bombardment of every imaginable stimulus. In a strange and unaccountable series of visions, things were shown to me in the once flat and featureless grayness of the carpet that my mind could not fathom, that my pitiful human sense organs could not tolerate, and thus discarded. This ignorance, this avoidance, was something I somehow knew had occurred before the onset of my condition. But then, on the floor, I was still made aware of the stimuli, still acknowledged, somehow, their existences, like taking a potent pain-numbing medication and drawing a blade across your arm. You don't feel the pain of the cut, but the damage is done, and it's there before your eyes. You're not immune from the physical harm being done. And so I was made nightmarishly aware of things which before had been ignored by my senses. I was given a second sight, an initially dim yet mounting vision, an extrasensory glimpse into both the extra-dimensional and sub-dimensional, into the spaces between the particles and the domains beyond our universe. Things impossible to relate with words, pictures, or models. Things that would make mankind, Earth, our solar system, and the Milky Way, 
altogether seem like shallow impersonations of cosmic order by comparison. I saw, through that increasingly potent second sight, images so profoundly insulting to the significance mankind places upon itself that I began to doubt the legitimacy of my status as a living, thinking being. Seconds, or hours, later, my senses were focused and consolidated into a single hypersense of sorts, and it was through this newly arisen organ, or spectral impression, that I passed from the world of the material and into something else, an infernal place. I was fully aware of having consciously left my wife, and yet I still sensed her in some vague capacity, accompanying me to and through this sidereal void. I was, or perceived myself to have been, encased in some sort of shielding, because I found myself floating in the open blackness of vacant space in front of a massive fire-ringed portal. Through the portal I could see stars, or what I believed to be stars, but around it, and myself, everything was unending, unblemished blackness. Pulled or driven of my own accord, I floated towards and entered the portal. I emerged from the portal into a space aflame, indescribable shapes, worlds, creatures of unrecognizable anatomy, all were aflame in the tumult of cosmic fire that was infernally present throughout the space I'd entered. Amidst the cosmic crematorium burned black massive suns. They were perfect spheroid conflagrations that soundlessly discharged a black fire. Despite this umbral burning, the space was still bright, as if the flames gave off shadows that illuminated an area rather than darkened it. And due to their silent burning, I heard something that terrified me. I heard with an audible clarity that was as perplexing as it was terrifying, an evil cackling, a laugh as of demons in chase of prey. In the ocean of spatial fire laughed billions of black stars, a chorus of sadistic stellar bodies jeering at the alien victims they were incinerating. There wasn't a direction I could turn that was devoid of the monstrous orbs. At distances from mere hundreds of feet to millions of light years away, a tenebrific sun cackled and spat its fiery mockery at the alien life forms that writhed in untranslatable anguish around me. A massive, polished purple, winged coleopteran tried with futility to abate the pervasive heat that seared its body. But it was not magically. For what other answer could there be? Protected as I was. Several hundred miles away, I saw and heard, with that same impossible sensorial acuity, the population of tripedal mammalian creatures being eternally carbonized by the crematory suns, their cries so awful, so pained, that I felt an almost debilitating, empathetic sensation. I beheld lives, species, entire worlds, being extinguished in the boundless hellscape I inhabited. In contrast to the omni-peripheral chorus of solar laughter, a distant voice could be heard, from a distance I could not guess at, but which seemed both far away and extremely close. This voice, as I heard it, came from an individual, a single entity seemingly unlike the solar bodies that dominated the Ultrahedian region. I sensed a mind, a single sapiens, that gave an impression of sovereignty, as if it alone held true reign in this nether space, its dominion acknowledged by even the laughing hellish bodies. In an instant, without any indication that I had earned its attention, I was transported to the being I had sensed. Before me, in a space unburnt by the wicked black suns, hovered a small form. To my shock, it bore a humanoid shape, a familiar face. It was only a few tones lighter than the black aura that bled from it, and yet I recognized its features. It was my son. His face was on that floating, 
monarchial object staring at me with eyes that somehow appeared both alight with youth yet wizened by the passage of eons. I tried calling out to him to ask how I had arrived here and why he was among such awful and impossible things. But whatever shielded me from the insane heat also prevented me from speaking or interacting at all with my environment. My son, at least the thing that wore his face, opened his mouth and out of it came a surge of light and I felt this light sear through the shielding that had protected me and I heard behind me the sudden cessation of those laughing suns and then their abominable death cries and then silence. And all around me, everything was turned to nothing. Suddenly and totally effaced, and I perceived only my own immateriality. My eyes opened to find my wife crouching above me with the same worry I'd seen before across her face. She helped me to the bed and laid my head on my pillow. The carpet where I'd been kneeling, suffering, was scorched, as if a great swath of flame had passed over it, searing it down to the very roots of the threads. There was ash everywhere, even floating in a tiny haze a few feet above the floor. Looking down at myself, I saw with shock that I was completely naked, that my clothes had apparently been burnt away in the same conflagration that had swept through the room. I turned to my wife and asked what had happened, but she shushed me and told me to get some rest. I did as she commanded, and after drawing the bed covers over myself, drifted off to dreamless sleep. I awoke later in the night. My senses had returned to their ordinary limited capacities, and nothing I touched felt too soft or too hard. There were only faint traces left of the once fulsome ash. My wife had cleaned most of it up sometime during my rest. I got out of bed, relieved myself in the bathroom, dressed, and went downstairs, where I found my wife in the kitchen preparing dinner. She embraced me, asked how I felt, and I told her that I was fine. She said we were having spaghetti for dinner, which smelled delicious. It's my ultimate weakness, and I sat at the table. She then told me to go ahead and ask the question I wanted to ask, so I did. She answered, and her explanation was far more believable than I'd expected it to be. She had made me promise not to explain how she had acquired the influential item due to its exclusive use in her highly specialized line of work, and I will not divulge that information. But she confirmed that, yes, I had briefly been transported to realms and states that humanity cannot ordinarily inhabit, visit, or even view and would not, for millennia, without the aid of the influential item, the timepiece of the black horologist, an almost sorceress means of transmaterial relocation. She said that we weren't even children on the evolutionary scale compared to other entities in the uncharted gulfs of deep space, and that if we encountered them as we are now, they would view us as we view dust, inert, not alive. When I asked why she had given me this ephemeral ability to see, yet not understand, the unseen, she said that I had moped around for too long, that it was beginning to sadden our son, who had always been high-spirited and, of course, perceptive. Thankfully, my son had been at a friend's house at the time and was not around to see his father so distraught. When she mentioned our son... I asked if she knew what I had seen at the end of my experience while trapped within the chthonic space, and she said she did not. She informed me that she had never tried the experience herself, and that the knowledge of its use came from others of the lab who had no obligations of sanity to a family. I explained the imagery to her, and her face contorted into deeper levels of awe and horror as I detailed the cyclic and apparently eternal cremation of the alien beings. When I mentioned seeing my son, she seemed to mentally sink inward, as if in consideration of something profound. 
I asked what she was thinking, and she responded with her own question. Do you have any idea why you saw Alex in the face of that mighty thing? No. Why? Eat. Think about it while you do. I'm sure you'll come to answer. I ate in silence, turning the abysmal experience over and over again in my mind. It wasn't until I had cleared my plate and gone into the living room to sit with a cup of coffee that I realized what it all meant. On the table nearby was a picture of my son and I from a few years ago. We were in front of the house, which was just bought at the time. Alex sat on my shoulders. We were both smiling. Alex had his mouth open in a shout of joy. I remember running around and letting him direct where we went, as if I were a mech and he were a pilot. During my journey, my delving into that blackly burning abysm, I saw that cute face and the entity that had, with its scoring light, incinerated those monstrous infinity cruel sons. And the lesson came to me. As my wife had said, I had moped around for years, depressed and downcast by my inability to fully know the mysteries of myself and of the world. But what I didn't before realize, hadn't even considered, was that not all mysteries are worth solving, not all truths are worth knowing, that I shouldn't be dejected just because I can't know the unknown. My son's face, my son's joy, should be enough for me. Ensuring his happiness above all else should be my goal, my existential fire. That joy, which, once seen, can eradicate all horrors and worries which may haunt my mind. That is the ultimate truth I saw, of which I was made so profoundly aware during that fantastical journey into the nadir of the universe. With this knowledge in mind, I am happy that I will be long dead when humanity develops sufficiently enough to physically voyage to those ultimate depths of cosmic darkness because I never want to see nor be intimately reminded of the horrors therein ever again. I hope you enjoyed Odyssey of the Despairing Mind by Weird Bryce Guy, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash weird-bryce-guy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash W-E-I-R-D dash B-R-Y-C-E dash G-U-Y. Find out more about his upcoming book by catching up on the series The Mass, Adventures in Search of the Elusive Dog Man, or check out his collection of short tales available on Amazon entitled The First Step Toward Nightmare. As a reminder, decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote, and be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure they'd much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the tear, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com 
where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, Follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry Channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, 
But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.